Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Cecily, I have a topic that has been turning and boiling and roiling in my mind for several weeks now. Mm-hmm. Will you discuss it with me? I I will. I will accept you on that discussion. Okay. Uh, hey, before we start, yeah, I just want to remind you that I like you just the way you are. <laughs> well, thank you. And it's it's a nice segue because I want to seriously, quote unquote, but for real, discuss the possibility of founding a secular religion based on the teachings of Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers right. from Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. <laughs> Um, so hell of an idea here's the here and here's why, but this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of years. It's one of the like widely discussed disadvantages of being in a secular lifestyle is like if you're any type of religious persuasion in almost every community that you can go into in, in across in the world, you will find like-minded individuals ready to accept you in, uh, give you counsel, give you a pep talk. Uh, give you uh, like like uh, organize um, for community action, uh, companionship, fellowship, s- plug you into social services, mental health counseling, emotional counseling. There's so many of those things that are kind of like provided through these religious institutions. Uh, you know, mosques, synagogues, churches, cathedrals, mm-hmm. kingdom halls, wherever, what, whatever you call them, those those are the places. And secular people, we get to sleep in on Sunday, which is great, but it does give us this kind of social void where I always feel like we're catching up to, you know, it's like, it, it's hard to get like atheist, atheist uh, organized. You know, something we went, when we went to Pride Day in Cincinnati, we saw like the atheists with their booths and stuff. And it's something I kind of even asked them. It's like, you know, like what kind of it's it's all very loose and, and unorganized. And, right. and yeah, you get this community in a church that you mm-hmm. get to see in their every Sunday or Thursday or whenever you're meeting. Yeah. And they're local and you get to keep up with each other, uh, like you said, because you're your like mindedness. Mm-hmm. And it seems like if you have atheists getting together it starts to resemble too much of a a religion yeah so like the idea is that you know we need a a figure or we need a philosophy that can like unify and inspire people but without like being preachy or you know presuming some kind of afterlife or religious framework that everyone's not going to be able to agree with and i kept on like when we we saw the thing that spoke sparked this is us seeing a beautiful day in the neighborhood and followed on to some of the other Mr. Rogers documentaries I saw like uh Yeah, like the one that came out last year. Yeah, what was that? Uh you know, won't you be my neighbor? Yeah. I think it, what what it is. And the thing that impresses me about Mr. Rogers is when I go back and I think about his, you know, clearly Mr. Rogers was a devout Christian among other things. But that necessi- that doesn't necessarily come across in his children's entertainment. Probably because he knows that everyone that was watching his program was not a Christian and he wouldn't want to make anyone feel bad about right. that. It is kind of something that you assume when you look at him. 
Yeah. And just the way he carries himself, that's what I would I would describe as being traditionally Christian values and the way he handles himself and handles situations. Yeah. And people. Um I think he would hate the idea of religion found and that's the thing is like I don't religion might be used in quotes, but like a fellowship. And mm-hmm. there's so many I, I when I started thinking about how you could build this out, like okay, there's a lot of things just map out one to one. Like you call your congregation neighborhoods. You call the congregants neighbors like, mm-hmm. hey, and that's so great because that's so nice. Like in the religion I grew up in, it was always brother and sister. So like mm-hmm. even if you didn't know anybody, you could be like, hey, brother, welcome to the you know, congregation. And it's good to see you. Or it's, you know, if you don't, it, it, it's like you could just call each other's neighbors. Hey, good morning, neighbor. Or you could like, hey, neighbor Cecily. How's it? I mean, that seems a little culty. It really does. But like it's, it's good to like you can refer to people as something. You know, as as as, as give them a label. Right, that, so you they talk can, about them all as a group. They're the neighbors. Yeah, we're the neighbors. Um, it has to be non-denominational because I think that's the way Mr. Rogers' TV show was. Mm-hmm. It has to be based on like the work and teachings of Fred Rogers. I thought that like, wouldn't it be cool? Like a big part of me going to church was singing. Like it's something that you can mm-hmm. do together, and like you've already got like you you bring the meeting to order by singing "It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood." You close it by saying, you know, the whole uh, as everyone walks in and changes their shoes and puts on their cardigans. Oh my god! <laughs> I wasn't even going with like like the ritual, right? No. Everyone has a little cubby box <laughs> that has a pair of comfy shoes and sweaters, and you you change into it, so you've got like your official like now. Okay, now now we're turning this into a cult. Yeah, I like it. yeah, it's too like much, it. but a good visual. The membership dues, those sweaters, that's going to be a hundred twenty dollar devotional ca- cardigan. <laughs> uh, no, but but like you know, you come in, you sing the song, the the, the beautiful neighborhood. You end up with a snappy new day, and everyone like kind of leaves with a bounce in their step. Um, but you could take like two or three minutes out of each Mr. Rogers episode and have someone work up material based on like a life lesson we can learn as adults Mm -hmm. and children from that. Um, would you want to make it as directly attributed to Mr. Rogers? See, or I think you should make it inspired by, right? Because that's the thing. If you start playing, I I don't even know what the legalities and I'm not, I'm not wanting, I, I I don't know how you would work all those out because I know that he's got an estate. I think he's still got a widow that probably would, would have a dim view of these proceedings. Right. Uh, But you imagine Mr. Rogers face on a giant stained glass window and you think that's doesn't feel the same as watching the PBS show. Yeah. You don't want it to be like big brother. You don't want to have like a giant face of Mr. Rogers behind a podium and he's just kind of like benignly smiling at, or maybe you do. No, no, I mean, not the, not a giant Mr. Rogers per se, but the iconography is what I mean. I think that that's too much. Yeah. Uh, But I like the singing and like the other thing is like, he's got songs for everything. He's got songs about what you do with your feelings. He's got songs about what you should do if you're trying something new and you're afraid of failing. He's got songs about what you should do if you don't feel like you're a very good singer and you want to sing anyway. Like he's got like, you could have a whole Mr. Rogers songbook, and then you have like a volunteer. Maybe there's like a pool of people that can volunteer that are comfortable with public speaking or they want to work on public speaking. And their mandate is each week to grab two or three minutes from a Mr. Rogers or a lesson from a Mr. Rogers video that they can impart to the neighborhood for that day. So you do want it to be squarely grounded in the teachings of Mr. Rogers. (sighs) 
Because I feel like it could be something where you don't have to grab it directly from okay, something explain. he said before. Because I, because I, say I, I come to you, or I, I this week I'm a volunteer speaker. I, I, I view it more as like TED talks or something like that. A combination of a sermon and a TED talk, where you can just be prepared and knowledgeable about a subject, or you just want to talk about your feelings about a specific thing. And maybe Mister Rogers didn't cover it. You don't want to be squarely so no, rooted right. there do you but i guess here's the thing like but you approach what you're saying as mr rogers would yeah i just don't want like ever to be a situation in a neighborhood or, or maybe if it does we can all approach it like neighbors uh but like in the, where someone gets up there and like starts an amway presentation no, no, no. i mean of course it's going to be organized right and you have people in charge of each neighborhood uh King Friday the thirteenth, we'll call them. <laughs> oh my God, King Friday! Who's, know, the, who's, the the king, who's the king or queen Friday in this neighborhood? There's, there's. Uh, I, I, I just sat through thirty minute Amway pitch. I got. <laughs> what was the name of the the real life woman who was in the land of make believe? Was it uh, Lady McFarlane? Yeah, yeah, Lady McFarlane. Lady Lane. Yeah, we'll call it that. Uh-huh. <laughs> a, a group, a tribunal, maybe, di- maybe of di- people maybe Dan- who get to approve what happens every sunday or whatever maybe, they pick maybe we the should songs. call them daniels it's less of an authority figure yeah the council of daniels they can't the council of tigers yeah the tiger council tiger council there but, we go um but you know you gotta have people in charge of each one of these charters in order to right. make sure that they're because i assume there's going to be charitable contributions that come yeah, in I mean, and people who can organize sure. the sermons and things sure sermons we gotta find a better word for that uh i mean they're just neighbors if you get if you get if you, that's the thing it's like i'm already kind of bristling at some of this hierarchy we're talking about but like that's probably inevitable you have to have some kind of hierarchy you have to if, if it should be the like the least and and most flexible one there is um those are all great good points because i'm like yeah i guess i want to pin it to something that you can directly derive from mr rogers because otherwise i just think that you'll have crazy like you know um I've never been to maybe I should go to like a universalist Unitarian church sometime to see how they do things, because like I often wondered like how they handle because like supposedly all religions are welcome there. Like, how do you handle like if you got, you know, 75 percent of your congregants are Judeo Christian and then you've got like a Hindu population and Muslim, like what well, then- universal truths can you like? Like it has to be a universal Fred Rogers truth. Mm hmm. So I don't know how to do that other than grounding it in his like actual work. But I don't know. I just I I I I, I thought it's an interesting idea. It's something that will probably never happen mm-hmm. um, because of all the illegal entanglements and. Uh, but like, I think there is a need for this in secular communities. Something like this, and I think it would actually work. It's just like there's probably a lot of bullshit in the way. Yeah, and I want to disagree with you about the uh, flexible leadership. Really, I think it needs to be. Yeah, I think these people absolutely need to be vetted and very much in charge. And and they need to be ruled by an iron cardigan. Yeah, I'm saying that <laughs> these people who are in charge are, you know, it's not like they're in charge of everything, but they are directing where the financial contributions go. They're taking reports of, you know, like harassment yeah, or right. misconduct by you know the the neighbors seriously. Yeah, I, I don't think you want to be flexible with the people who are in charge of that. Like, I want to I mean, call them like adults because that's like what you know. It's like you know, make sure you get an adult supervision or trust. Adult, speak to a trusted adult trust, from the Council of Tigers. Adult from the Council of Tigers, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, can you can you imagine any kind of religion in the world that didn't have some really corrupt things happening? 
sure. some misuse of finances or just outright, you know, child abuse. Well, that's all, all decentralized organizations. They fall prey to like if anyone acts in their name, then it kind of tars everybody. Like if there's no requirements, like anybody can do it, then like, you know, uh, then everyone shares accountability for everything that happens, which is the same as saying no one shares accountability for everything that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're probably right, but it's something that we'd have to kind of have a, a light touch on, Debbie. Because like I, I kind of want to at this point turn it over to our neighbors, the listeners ship here at One Weird Trick. Uh, <laughs> if you want to send in your suggestions for how we can tweak the Rogerites, uh. <laughs> Their neighbors. <laughs> to the neighbors, to the neighborhood. Any tweaks to the neighborhood, the, the, the global neighborhood, send it into OWT at Swizzbold.com mm-hmm. and uh, we will we will consider it. Or tweet at us at Swizzbold. Um in any way. Any way you want to get hold of it. <laughs> any way you want to start a conversation. Any place you've run into us in the neighborhood. I just stop on by, neighbor. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Speaking of OWT at Swizzbold.com, uh, before we get to the advice part of the podcast, I just want to tell people thank you for the uh for everyone downloading and sharing the stuff on swizzbold uh we certainly like to encourage that uh if you do dig what we're doing here at swizzbold.com please rate and review us wherever you listen to the podcast share stuff on social media if you guys enjoy a particular point or i think it'd be cool if like you think i don't know this might be a little douchey but if you think like a friend could could benefit from a friend like you need to listen to time code 23 minutes <laughs> yeah Sh- charlie's <laughs> Daniel, Teresa, Karen, uh-huh. Michael, like just just kind of slide them that way, and like you know, oh, or what if like uh, I was thinking like D from last week, what if she like suggests her coworker to li- you know, like, hey, <laughs> right. you might find it beneficial to listen to. There's some solid advice on a tricky workplace situation, right? Anyway, share that stuff out. And it doesn't have to be just the tricky things, too. Yeah. You can send us personal wins or, yeah. or fun things. Yeah. We're finding we're, we're lifting a lot of heavy weight here. If you got some some lighter fare stuff, that would be cool, too. <laughs> yeah. But but most of all, yeah, if you have a request for advice, please send it to OWT at SwizzBold.com. Mm-hmm. Are we ready to advise? We are ready. I've got the first one here. All right. This one. Oh, do we mention the name thing? Oh, yes. If you if, unless otherwise coached or coached otherwise, we are going to make up a name for you mm-hmm. because we want to preserve everyone's anonymity and anonymity. Yes, Clips. we want to preserve that. <laughs> so like unless you say, hey, this is blah, blah, blah from the forums or whatever. It's cool to use my name and location. We're going to let you explicitly say that we're going to give you a pseudonym of our choice. Oh, yeah. you can also suggest a pseudonym. Yeah. If you would like to do that. So who's up first, Cecily? The first one we have here is Shy Guy. Yeah. Uh, Shy Guy says, I'm a 29-year-old gay man, and I've never had sex or been in a relationship before. I've touched a dick or two in my life, but nothing more intimate or exciting than that. Uh, The phrase is a dick or three. Right. Uh, Well, this Shy Guy has only had dick or two. Okay. That's true. See, I'm already pushing him. I'm already (laughs) pushing him to touch more dicks than than he is comfortable with, with handling. I don't feel like this lack of a sex dating life is making me miserable. I really do enjoy my life. I don't. I do occasionally feel a bit sad that I might be missing out on something really cool in life. I've gone on several first and second dates with men I met online, and I never felt a connection or pursued anything past the second date. If I'm not interested early on, I start to get stressed about the time and money and effort I'm putting into a person that I may have no long-term interest in. 
In the past, the people I feel interested in are people I know in real life and have gotten to know as friends for a few years. But I'm gay and introverted, so if I just rely on the prospects I naturally meet and form friendships with, that might only be a person or two over the course of a few years. A person or three. Many of the opportunities I see to meet new LGBT singles in my town are centered around bars or clubs, which really don't interest me. To summarize, I'm never sure if I should just happily live my life and let things happen naturally, never being too bothered if a relationship never happens or if I should really push myself into trying to meet and date people, even if I don't feel really excited by the concept. What would you do if you woke up in my shoes? I guess the first thing you'd have to determine, I think this last paragraph is is an important one. Is this an actual problem for you? Shy guy. Right. You're describing it as the act itself really pushing yourself into something just because you're afraid you might miss out. Yeah. Um, It's like that um, at my old church, there's this really old guy who never got married. And when people would ask him, he was uh, considered to be a catch. So when people would ask him, oh, my God, I just realized I think this guy probably was gay. (laughs) Uh, When people would ask him, he would always say something. I'd rather want what I don't have than have what I don't want, which I thought was pretty fucking wise. Um, as a concept that and almost universally true to want something you don't have than have something you don't want. Um, because that's the thing. Like if this is an actual problem at, at 29, you feel like there's a missing piece and you want that extra bit of intimacy or physical pleasure or whatever it is that's missing romantic. Um, then yeah, like I, I, I hope it becomes a theme that if there's a problem in your life, you should absolutely put work into solving it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if that work takes you outside your comfort zone, even if that work is like scary or difficult, it's like, if it's a problem, we should solve it. But if it's not, then like you can stop worrying about it. And then I guess if something ever, you know, like, and that's the thing, it's like, this isn't like a loneliness pact. Like if you're like, you know what, this isn't a problem. I'm going to start living my life. And then you meet the right guy Mm -hmm. and like the stars align and the heaven parts and the angels sing, then it's not like you got like, ah, but I decided this wasn't a problem. So fuck off. Otherwise cute and attainable guy, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and because that's, that's the thing. Like, but you have to be sure if it's a problem or not, because if you take that like, well, you know, whatever comes is going to come and you do that in some locations. Like if you do, if you're in a big city, you can do that because you're going to be running into people all the time. Or if you work in a large office or you, 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 your life kind of takes you out and about, then you'll probably. But if you like are living in a really rural location mm-hmm. where there are not a lot of opportunities, like deciding to like let life you know, have it say or, or do whatever is probably a recipe for that never happening for you because those opportunities are not going to come by organically. Right. And if that's something that you are more interested in just trying out to experience, experiencing, there's all kinds of places where you can go to meet other people that aren't the sexually aggressive grinder or the yeah. also sexually aggressive bars or clubs. Uh huh. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things like uh, meetup.com is still around. Right. Uh, and that's a place where you can just meet friends if you're more interested in just going out and doing things with other people. And you could meet someone that you find <laughs> you want to start a relationship with. Yeah. Because that's that- the thing. Like it takes like 
29 is about the age where you run out of like relationship rocket fuel, mm -hmm. like all your life. Like when you're a kid, your parents arrange you play dates. You've got cousins and usually brothers and sisters, people in the neighborhood. And then you go into school and there's a whole bunch of pool of people you can have friends with. And you go to college and then you get your first job. And like, then you're 29 and it's been you're several years out of these kind of institutions and you're just drifting. And unless you get your own rocket fuel, to go out and find more friends, you're going to start losing and then not replacing. So like, if that's the case, then you got to go out and, and, and make one of the, you got to, you got to load up your rocket with more fuel. Right. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's also another interesting possibility that you might want to explore. And that is you could be asexual. And yeah. that is someone who I know it sounds very sterile like you're someone who doesn't have sex but that's not exactly what it means it could be someone who just wants a uh, only experiences romantic uh kind of attractions where mm -hmm. you just want a companion with you all of the time but you're not interested in having sex a lot and asexual people do have sex uh -huh. sometimes it's just not something that they feel a strong desire to do yeah like kind of sounds like what you are experiencing here yeah i don't know if you've seen uh shy guy bojack horseman but aaron paul plays a character named todd who i think midway through season two realizes that he's asexual and they actually it's one of the it's actually one of the only places i've seen in popular culture where they explore the concept and they kind of go into like there's different ways to be asexual too there's like a spectrum of it mm -hmm. you know um, and like, you know, maybe you like physical intimacy, like cuddling or kissing or holding hands, but not sex, or maybe you don't like any of this stuff, but you're willing to do it for a partner in the same way that I might not like giving back massages, but I might massage Cecily's back if it hurts. Um, and then there's all spectrums in between. So that might be something to explore because mm -hmm. honestly, that's something that like wasn't even on my radar more. I just assumed that like maybe you're gay, maybe you're straight, maybe you're, uh, uh, you know, some other flavor of the sexual spectrum. But the idea that like some people just aren't interested in sex, it'd be like finding someone not interested in food, you know, um, which that I wonder if that happens too. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that what skinny people is? They just don't like food. I've been lied to them my whole life. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's something to consider because, um, you know, like realizing that kind of fundamental truth about yourself might be uh, liberating. And it also... Right, exactly. Then you won't feel the pressure of needing to do something that a lot of other people are right. pressuring you to do. Because I imagine find, at 29, yeah. there's got to be pressure just, if not for media, maybe even your parents, your friends making yeah. you feel bad for being single. And yeah. that's not something you need. Yeah. And maybe you can find some groups of people, like-minded individuals. There's the joke on BoJack Horseman that uh, Todd developed an app called, I think it's all about the ace. Because that's the like ace, the, yeah. the slang for asexuals, ace. Uh, it's all about the ace. Uh, maybe there's an app like that where your other other people can can reach out and find each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe some of that will help. Let's move on to our next advice supplicant person requesting advice uh, advice monger. Uh, <laughs> I'm calling this one anchor babies away. About 2.5 years ago, I found out my recent ex-girlfriend was pregnant. Without going to details, let's just say it was an extremely low probability event, but one that created my little miracle of a daughter. Once I found out, we agreed to take uh, to try to make her work and moved in together during the pregnancy. Blame aside, it went very badly, including me getting thrown out many times and constant fighting that from my personal perspective seemed it was becoming irrational mental abuse. 
I couldn't see getting married because things were so volatile. We stuck it out after my daughter was born, but after trying family counseling for several months without change, I finally moved out in December of 2018 after a big fight. For a while, she didn't let me see my daughter at all, but things have improved. Because of work, I don't see my daughter during the week, but I provide financial support and sleep on the couch there every weekend to help with my daughter. It's not easy, but it's better. Here's my problem. My daughter is an American citizen, but her mother is European. Parenthetically, why I was comfortable with making the anchor baby joke? Because I find that most Americans don't describe this situation with, with European descent as anchor babies, but it's like anchor babies when you're talking about Central, Southern America, I don't know, North Africa, Middle East, those kind of places. Anyway, got it. Those European, those European anchor babies we're always hearing about. Uh, her mother's a European and her final those work. Parisians coming over those here stealing our jobs. Those goddamn French people <laughs> wanting a piece of this Statue of Liberty that they gave us. Uh, her final work visa will end next year and she can't get another one. The only good option for them is to, to stay is marriage. I've offered to do that and keep semi-separate lives, but she demands that we be, quote, truly together or she won't do it. I love my daughter deeply, but I'm not sure what to do. Some people have recommended just telling her we'll try to work it out and get married long enough to get the green card. But after all this time, I know it will not work and I'd be living a lie. Thoughts? I have several. Um, first of all, I guess I'm wondering how long you've known this woman. She's been at least in your life for two and a half years. So I don't know if your previous attempt to live together while she was pregnant was affected by just pregnancy hormones and being kind of rushed into a relationship. But being rushed into a, a serious relationship, even if it's a marriage only for a green card, is still pretty serious. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's not the best thing for your daughter. I'm also wondering, like... Uh... Does this woman want to stay in America? Or is she being, or is she happy to go back to Europe once her work visa is over? Yeah, like what what does your ex want from this? That's the thing that I was like. There's several different angles to look at this from. Does she want to stay in the states? Does she want you to move back to her home country? Does she want you to do to marry her for some reason? Because mm-hmm. uh, like I feel like from just what I know here, her motives seem like they're all over the place. Um, like, does her home country, is divorce uncommon or single parents kind of situation uncommon? Is there stigmatization of that? Because I can't, like, if she wants a green card, it seems like she'd be all on board with the sham marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let's get the green card. Then, you know, after I got that, then we can go our separate ways or we can work it out or whatever. If she wanted to 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 marry you, then... Like this makes a lot of sense, but I'm under, I don't understand why because it seems like it's just a disaster from your perspective. Like it's just not working out at all. So it's like what? Why the almost like blackmail, emotional blackmail of well, we're going to be married. You got to be really married. Like where's that come? Where's that energy coming from? Right, and also it seems like you already are as together as you need to be in order to raise your child. You know, you're working throughout the week, which doesn't seem like you have much time to do other things. Uh-huh. And then you're staying with your daughter on the weekends at her house. So I guess you have to, yeah, you have to ask the mother, what is it that you really want? Because 
you know, you, there is some compromise here. If she wants to be truly together, she won't do it. Then she needs to commit to maybe a little bit more family counseling and take yeah. it more seriously and understand that she can't treat you that way if you're going to be together. And it seems like also that like if you guys are a terrible fit for everything except for like base level co-parenting like on the weekends then like that's going to be even worse when your daughter starts having like thoughts and feelings of her own thoughts and feelings that might be uh influenced or manipulated and like you know you guys got to kind of get this set right and i you, you got to figure out what you each want because like also so on your side of the equation um anchor baby uh, or anchor baby father what <laughs> anchor baby maker what what do you yeah a- anchor baby maker what do you want in a perfect world do you want her to stay here and live in the same town as you what if she moves across the country would you move uh, to stay with her do you want her to leave and do you want to keep your daughter and raise her as a single dad um, and then you once you figure out like what or she you wants. could move to Europe with them. That's what I said. Yeah, oh, okay. you could you could also just you could you could move to be in her uh, uh, country, and then once you decide what you want to do and what you think she wants to do, then you got to decide what's best for your daughter after you eliminate the things that you know you're not willing. Like if you're not going to move to Europe, then that's off the table. If she's not going to stay outside of marriage, then that's off the table. Um, and the only thing you can do is like change. Like okay, well that's not my, like, I don't want to move to Europe, but like, I want my daughter to know her dad. So I'm going to try my best to immigrate over there. Um, you know, because that's, that's what I think is best for my daughter. It's something you may make, but you can't, you know, change what she's going to do. That That's the only, you know, variables, like what you're willing to do and what you're willing to sacrifice the, to, to do the right thing, quote unquote, for your daughter. Right. And, you know, it seems like she's denied you seeing your daughter before. So you also might want to seek some legal counsel to see, you know, if she can do it while she's here. Once she moves to another country, you need to know what your rights are as a father. I mean, that's that's a great like baseline, just legality. Like you need. Are you the are are you the father on the birth certificate? If not, uh, are you willing to do like a genetic test to make, you know, to prove your your parental rights? Because like. You know, I've I've actually had firsthand knowledge of guys who didn't go through and become the putative father on the birth certificate, and when they tried to establish some parental rights later, it was a real uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know what your base like. What is the legal situation right now? Like, are you on the birth certificate? And if not, like, what are you willing to do to to exercise those rights? Because if you're not on the birth certificate, like, she can do whatever the hell she wants, and there's very little you're going to be able to do to to to, to stop her, even if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. So. You need to make sure that whatever rights you have, you've established and protected. Um, and then, shoot, that's just just this America, like let alone like whatever country she's moving to. Um, but yeah, I, I think you need to figure out what she actually wants because what she says she wants doesn't seem like it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then figure out what you want, and then figure out what's best for your daughter, and how you can shift all those overlapping. <laughs> sets those Venn diagrams into something that you're willing to do. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, no, good luck. It's um it's a, it's you know, parent, being a parent's a lot of work and sacrifice. I left my town of Indianapolis and moved to yeah, not not nearly as big of a move. I just moved uh, southeast to Cincinnati, but you know, that's enough to where like I don't have nearly as much contact with my friends and family back in my old life, but I would do that 10 times out of 10 because there, I, I couldn't see a situation where I'd only see my son 
every other week or maybe for a couple months in the summer. Um, Because if she moves to Europe, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at Skype conversations, phone calls, and you're looking at probably seeing her a couple of months out of the year when she gets school off and maybe around every other Christmas or something like that. But like you're practical parenting is going to be a lot is going to be going to be really limited Mm -hmm. so good luck with figuring that out hopefully we were able to help you yeah i've got the next piece of advice being requested from straight from middle manager hell fire and fury and sulfur and everything they're they're virgil to lead them out (laughs) yeah let's see uh, middle manager Hellion <laughs> says, I am the number two leader in my branch of a grocery retail chain. Earlier this week, I was brought into a meeting by regional leadership and was told that they are closing the store down. My store is very old, outdated, and the rent is so high we don't actually make the company money. They're building a much lar- larger store nearby with all the bells and whistles. I've been ensured that my non-management employees will have first pick at all the positions over there, so no one will lose pay or title if they agree to transfer. Middle and upper management will get moved around to other stores, which is routine, and will most likely come with either a promotion, shorter commute, or both. You know, they installed all the bells and whistles at a grocery store in our neighborhood. I didn't like it. I prefer... <laughs> it's too loud in there. Yeah, it's just like a fucking cuckoo clock factory. Like I, I, the, I, I, I know retail is kind of dicey. All the bells and whistles? <laughs> All of them. So that's red flag number one. <laughs> While I know the livelihoods of my employees are secure, I'm riddled with anxiety over this. Firstly, because we can't say anything to anyone for two weeks, so us announcing it to the store coincides with the company making the closure public. I can't even talk about it to my significant other, as they are also management at a different branch in the company. Oof. I have Oof. to Yeah. I have to go around smiling like normal and try to navigate expenses and plans for the upcoming closure. We had to ask middle management to schedule a branch-wide meeting, something we never do, to celebrate this past fiscal year. They're all suspicious, and I basically have to lie and say everything's okay. I have to consistently will my face from getting red and try to say something that does not compromise my morals. Then, once we announce, it will be four months until we actually close. Oh. Four months of comforting people who have worked together for years, some for over two decades. We have to keep up positivity, get through the hall holidays serve our customers well and not make my super passionate and hardworking team feel like they failed i like my customers medium rare <laughs> like you just have to use so much steak sauce when you serve them well it's it's just you know <laughs> you don't get the real you don't get the authentic customer flavor no you don't on top of that i feel awful for some of our customers we're in a very low income part of town and serve a lot of minority customers many come to us by foot bike or bus and the extra few miles will be hard on them Some will be sad and I'll be devastated to talk to them. Others will be furious. While we are not fancy or new, I am told by regulars every day how much they love shopping with us because we're clean, friendly, have everything they need in an easy overall trip. I love my company and has done so much for me and my whole team. I understand the business of why the closure is happening. And in the end, it will ensure the success of our company at a time when the future of retail is up in the air. I also know this is going to be the biggest challenge I faced in my career. Leading, teaching, and empowering people is what I love about my job, and it is pivotal that I remain strong and optimistic for my team during this time. Any and all advice on how to manage this is appreciated. Well, I I, I know that you're saying that you feel very guilty and you feel bad about the situation, but just from what you, and I can see why you, you'd say that, but just from everything you've typed out, 
uh, I don't think that you have anything personally to feel guilty about, mm -hmm. um, except for having a well-developed sense of empathy, which overall is a plus. I, I encourage everyone to, to work on their empathy uh, skills. So what to do? Um, I'm wondering, so let's eliminate some some basic stuff or some things that you can think about. Is some of this coming from a subconscious awareness that some of these promises or some of the things that the management is planning as far as taking care of like displaced employees are kind of bullshit or Pollyanna because like how much of, do you think that like some, cause, cause I'm, that's the first thing my, I thought of when I was reading this email. It's like, Oh, you know, no existing employees will be displaced, you know, because we'll offer them jobs at surrounding stores and stuff. It's like, yeah, but, you know, what is their schedule going to be? What's their commute going to be they're like? They're just going to have to and, do a quick interview with the regional supervisor and just yeah, make sure. That what they, if he thinks they're an asshole, even though the old store managers thought they're odd? It's like a lot of times that doesn't work out, even in the best thought out. But is there some, because it seems like you're a very thoughtful and conscientious person. Is there like a cognitive dissonance being provoked by what the message you're asked to carry and this is all even before the bombs dropped right is there some kind of cognitive cognitive dissonance between what you're being asked to say and what you think it's actually going to impact it also i would have told my significant other like even if we worked at the same we actually we do work at the same place <laughs> Uh, I would tell that I would tell you if there was like a big bad news thing on the horizon. Uh, but this seems to be because like that's I feel like that's a tie thing? that's thicker than employment. Easy. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. I don't know. This I mean, is that's a person a in a choice. different branch. Yeah. So you know, if it's positive news, then absolutely tell them. I mean, do you, but, if it's but, negative news, then absolutely warn them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, if you trust your significant other to keep your 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 promise, and I think you should, then. Like I would tell them because that's like a lot of weight, you know, to carry alone. Like this isn't you're not working for the CIA. This isn't something's going to cost people lives if like, you know, the fucking D-Day gets out to D-Day is going to happen at 8 a.m. on the morning of the whatever, you know. So like I maybe you can roll the dice and, and bring someone inside the circle of trust that you're that you're that you're carrying for the company. Right. I mean, it's here's the thing. It sounds like all of you you included are a great manager employee for this store. And the reason they're asking you to keep this secret is because they just don't want to deal with having to having people leave early. They yeah. want to make sure that they still have Plus it's 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 they, they got a store staff or, or sell. Until, it looks like it could it could screw that up too. All right, well, it seems like they're just closing the branch is what she said. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is Will this company be as loyal to you as you are being to them? Probably not. The, you know, they, they're promising everyone jobs right now, but things change. Uh -huh. Things things can change. Yeah. So you have to determine, like, how fierce your loyalty is to this place. Uh, it's just really, it sucks for the customers, of course, because... It sounds like it's creating, if not a large, maybe a mini food desert for those people. That's what I was thinking too, yeah. The concept of like, you know, that's going to be a lot harder for them to get their groceries. And I don't know. That's the thing. It's like, I don't think you can tell them anything. Um, but like those, those those changes have to come at a systemic, societal, political level. It's not something that you can like, you know, solve in a boardroom and in a regional management session or whatever. 
Right. Um, it says you're you're riddled with anxiety over what should be from from everything you said should be good news. Yeah. So I mean, uh, yeah, trust those instincts. Do what's do what's right by the employees. Yeah. If the announcement time comes and they're telling you to continue to lie to your employees for four months, then mm-hmm. you know you just have to go with. Because that's what, what I say when, when I went through you. this once and when we my company was sold to another company and I was like at a director level and the only people that knew about the sale were the people on the board of directors and they told all of us like I guess senior middle management at a first uh, first of the morning meeting which is kind of a regular scheduled bait thing they told us they told us the severance packages are going to be or offered they're going to tell they told us talks about all the uh, retention bonuses for our department because we were in a similar situation where we had the, you know the sale was going to be announced but we it was going to have to continue operations for a couple of months and then immediately after they prepped us they then brought in all the employees in the company um, and told them so like there wasn't like this whole thing where there was a, a, a long secret period um, like even two weeks is a lot to keep stuff from people that you know and trust for a long time so it's like man I wish they could have done something like that where minimize the amount of time that you have to spend you know being two-faced with this to people but here's the other thing is like at the end of the day this isn't your call um, and it's like, you know, sometimes if you're an underling or a soldier or whatever, sometimes you have to like get in line and, and like there's only two choices. You either get out or you get in line and dealing with the get in line is tough. But there's a couple of books like so, so there's the concept of boundaries, you know, because you're going to get like a lot of anger and hurt from employees and from uh, customers and you there's there's a reaction to like when you get that negative criticism you should like build walls and you put up armor because it's like emotionally hard and difficult to deal with there's a concept of called like boundaries which are like the healthy version of walls where it's like a boundary is permeable like you can hear that feedback but like leave the emotion at the door um and there's a couple techniques you can do to kind of like strengthen your boundaries which is really you know, like what, where is the you end and where does the company begin and where does the customer begin? Like where are the lines between the emotional enmeshment there? There's a couple books I recommend. Uh, one is Boundaries, uh, Where You End and I Begin, How to Recognize and Set Healthy Boundaries by Anne Catherine. Um, I read that about 15 years ago and I found it very helpful in dealing with like some stuff that is going on through my religion and my family. Uh, and there's also some things they talk about like... Um, uh, workplace type boundaries. Um, and, but I've, when I was reading some reviews, I saw some people say that this kind of like some dated in like, uh, like the social situations. And so, and, and I like, well, that might, that might've been a blind spot because 15 years ago I was pretty backwards and dated in some mm-hmm. of my views. Uh, some people recommended this, this book called boundaries and relationships, knowing, protecting, enjoying the self by Charles Whitfield as an upgrade or an updated version of the boundaries. So I don't know, maybe that's something that will help, uh, protect your emotional and mental state as you navigate these tricky waters there. Uh, middle management hellion. <laughs> Next up, we have a missive from a band bandmate. Actually, it's about a band bandmate. And also, I want a content advisor for uh, domestic abuse because that's what we're going to be discussing in this email. Band Bandmate says, recently I found that someone I might or I have known and thought I'd gotten to know very well over the past few years is an abuser. I was horrified to learn that a bandmate of mine got into a terrible fight with an ex and essentially beat the crap out of her. 
Uh, two black eyes, choke marks, perforated eardrum, just an absolute terrible display of savagery and darkness that I didn't think he was capable of. It was absolutely heartbreaking when a photographer friend of ours took pictures of her and with her permission made them public for evidence and for her, the victim, to remember. Not only was it infuriating and devastating to learn about this, but also came to light that this was the third and by far worst time he has hit her. The band, of course, immediately cut all ties. Once his name was out there publicly, he was immediately blacklisted and made public enemy number one in the local music scene. A GoFundMe was set up for the victim and tripled expectations in like a day and a half, which was awesome to see. I guess my question is, how do you deal with someone you've been close to being responsible for such a heinous act? I simultaneously wanted to beat the crap out of him myself, but part of me also wanted to understand why, how. I'm sure it was a nasty fight between the two of them before the point of assault, but I can't imagine a situation where that level of violence could ever be justified. Does someone like that deserve any amount of compassion or forgiveness? Certainly. Um, the, I think the thing that I think about whenever I see someone that despicable, your immediate reaction, I mean, yeah, some someone who does something that horrible your immediate reaction is just like sickness. Of course, no, we should never forgive them. It's horrible. Write them off forever. Right. But the truth is, is that they didn't just appear that way. Something probably happened to them that made them think that that was an okay thing to do. Whether it's consciously or subconsciously that they were driven to that place where a simple argument resulted in physical violence. Which isn't okay. A lot of people's upbringing, a lot of things in popular media, like a lot of things in society seem to like tacitly encourage some level of this kind of, you know, or excuse or overlook, you know. like Right. There, What's more people... sexy than a passionate man who's jealous putting his fist through a wall, right? Right. I mean, think, <laughs> no. how, many, think how many pop pop songs in the last like 20 years have kind of glamorized mm -hmm. like problematic, abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Those that that kind of passion does not equal love uh -huh. or acceptance of you as a person. So, of course, you can forgive this person eventually, and I, actually, I think you all should—the victim and you and the band members. I think forgiveness is key. Now, that doesn't mean that you tell them you forgive them and then let them back into your life. That just means that that's a way for you to find peace and move on and accept what has happened. It's a way for them to let go of like their... The anger and resentment and whatever. Th that yeah. holds them back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not something you do for the abuser. It's no. something you do for yourself and for the, the victim. Right. As an abuser, you can... I think the first step is to try to admit that there's a there's a problem and that maybe the way you react to certain things isn't isn't how you see yourself. Maybe you flew into a blind rage and doesn't exactly remember doing it. It's just any of those kinds of keys will let you know that you need to find help and therapy and some healthy way to manage your anger or feelings or the way you view other people around you. Yeah. I think that like the, the, the way we frame this is like, does someone deserve any amount of compassion or forgiveness? I mean, nobody deserves shit. Um, the real question, I think, is do you have the capacity to reach out to this person in a helpful way? Because it is easy to throw men like this away and to shun them out of society. And I think that's entirely appropriate for 
the 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 victim's friends and family as a way to show support and as a way to isolate her from further harm. That that's perfectly fine. But also, but that's not on you. No, it's, it's not, not on it. you to to make sure that he gets the help he needs. No, and that's what I'm saying. Is he he doesn't know this isn't about deserve. It's about whether you have the capacity to do something helpful here. And also, I don't want you to feel too bad about not. Like, I feel there's a little bit of like guilt from like not being able to see the signs because like abusers are experts at image control manipulation. I mean, you hear this pattern all the time of like, it's very, you know, it's very rarely that abuser is going to be the kind of guy that like pulls up, you know, in a junk car with like beer bottles coming out and he's visibly drunk and he's got his wife beater on and like, you know, like the, like living up to that stereotype. Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens, but there's also a lot of like very charming abusers and people that make sure that that external image is just so, um, I was actually surprised because I started to do some research and I I found that on the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, that they I thought that this would be something like if you were being abused, you could call and you could find a safe place to go and shelter and resources. And that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. If you're abused, you can call 1-800-799-SAFE. Uh, but also they mentioned that they encourage abusers to call this hotline too. And a quote from their site is we treat all callers with dignity and respect and talk to people with these concerns because we support anyone who wants to take seriously uh, their responsibility for their, his or her actions. Every call from someone who is becoming more aware of their unhealthy behavior is an opportunity to plant a seed for change. And they encourage like, um, in particular, encouraging abusers to enroll in a battering intervention and prevention program, which is different from like anger management. It's different from like a substance abuse. It's different from like a mental, like it's different, like different from like personal counseling because there are unique needs of an abuser and unique, unique threats of an abuser that like traditional therapy might actually make things worse. Um, so they encourage like, um, enrolling in a battering and intervention and prevention programs. And maybe you can do some research for one of those in your areas and just like level with the guy being like, look, I can't accept what you did, but I also want you to think that there's, there's avenues for help that you don't have to be stuck in this and like maybe give him a phone number to call or like a Mm -hmm. program he could seek out and then leave it up to them because they say that there are behaviors that are conducive to recovery and change. Admitting fully to what you've done, stopping excuses and blaming uh, the victim, accepting responsibility uh, for the fact that abuse is a choice, um, identifying and rooting out attitudes in yourself like entitlement, ownership, belief in rigid gender roles, uh, not demanding credit for any improvement you might have made from anyone. Mm -hmm. And if you give this person this recommendation and you see them putting these things in in the place, then you maybe can at some point in the future... Uh, have a relationship with them. But if you see them not doing these things, then it's just going to make your decision to cut them out of your life like easier and easier. Right. And, you know, also make sure you're supportive of your friend that you still have around now and her healing process because it's, right. it's totally natural for her to miss this person and entertain the idea of getting back with them. Or, you know, mm-hmm. this separation process is going to be really difficult because... I'm sure it just didn't jump to physical violence. I'm sure that there's some emotional abuse going on as well that may make her feel really conflicted. So you have to make sure to listen with an open mind and don't be judgmental in any way or tell her what she should do or how she should handle things because 
you don't want to take this already vulnerable person and make them feel bad for right. continuing to be vulnerable. Right. But also good on you for not like going and beating the shit out of the guy because all that does is it, it creates another problem on top of the problem that exists and you might have a legal problem on top of it. Uh, so like uh, that's always kind of like especially I think for men like the good like oh go fucking kick his ass but like that's not any that that is not endorsed by the national hotline for prevention abuse. Right. And, so you're yeah. saying the answer to violence is more violence. violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so good on you for resisting that feel good solution that is not a solution at all and hopefully you got some uh some uh some things that uh will help you from all that yeah good luck with that i'm sorry to hear that's happening to your friend of course if you are if you are experiencing some domestic abuse or you know someone that is or you might suspect that you're an abuser as well make sure to check out the national domestic violence hotline uh, there's a website for that. It's not always calling in 1-800 number if you just want to look into it. Mm-hmm. This next piece of advice is from a mama miss. You a made that pun, not me. <laughs> well, I a made, might have made it, but I couldn't pronounce it. So. <laughs> a mama miss says, so for many years, my mother has been sinking into what I would call major depression. I can remember going back into the 90s when I first had an idea that it was happening. She was less joyful, less interested in others' lives or her own, really, among many of the other usual signs and symptoms. She also began to take increasingly less happiness in our relationship as mother and daughter. There had and have been many instances where I would share something really exciting that was happening in my life, only to be met with very little or no interest or happiness for me. Kind of like a, huh, and then go back to watching TV or whatever. I'm her daughter. Shouldn't she be happy for the great moments in my life and the opportunities that come up for me? Yes. Yes. That's an expectation that's reasonable to have as a mm-hmm. daughter towards a mother. I try to do that same thing for her. I try to have uplifting conversations with her or take her out for a nice day only to have her be a bump on a log or just stare off like she doesn't care to talk. At family functions or holiday gatherings, she'll occasionally be quiet and sit in silence even with a room full of family or she will sometimes feign not feeling well and just not go. I call her often and try to be as upbeat as I can to hopefully get her in a cheerful mood. Sometimes it works, but it's so hard and frustrating to want to talk to her in the moments when it doesn't. She actually did meet with a therapist a couple of times many years ago at her general practitioner's recommendation, and she took antidepressants for maybe two weeks, then stopped. When I asked her why she stopped, she said she didn't feel like taking them. I should mention that she's dealing with health issues as well, diabetes, heart and kidney problems, and she is being well looked after by her doctors and is in a good place with it all. It's very well managed. I know that she still hurts from the loss of her father. She was a daddy's girl and he passed away young in 1973, as well as the loss of her sister several years ago. Plus, my grandmother was sort of with her the way that my mother is with me. I'm sure that all of this is a large part of her being depressed, though, and I understand that. It makes me sad for her. I love my mother. I genuinely do feel for her, and I don't want to feel sad and depressed, which is why I try to lift her up. I want her to have a happy life. It's just getting so hard. If my sister and I try to talk to her about any of this, she goes into the, I know I'm a bad mother. I should just leave you alone kind of reply, which is so frustrating since not once have either of us or anyone else said or intimated anything like that to her at all. Her untreated depression has gotten much worse over recent years, and as much as I try for it not to, it's taking even more of a toll on my relationship with her. There are many times when I will hang up the phone after speaking with her and just cry. 
My heart breaks for her, but at the same time, it's also been often broken by her. There are times when I feel cheated because I don't have the loving relationship with my mom the way some others do, and I wonder how my own life might have been different if I had. It's just so hard. I don't want to completely cut off my relationship with her. She's my mom, you know? But I just don't know what to do. I know I should probably be in therapy for this as a healthy way to work through it all, but it's not in my budget. I've been internalizing it for internalizing it all for so, so long. I just wanted to talk to two people whose opinions I value quite highly. I, you have come to the right place if you've got problems with your mothers uh, because we, that's our speciality here at One <laughs> Weird Trick. Uh, so I've often thought of myself when I see emails like this and when I think of others in situations where they have parents that are not, they're less than stellar. And I'm somewhat lucky and that my mom, who suffers from a, a host of untreated uh, mental and emotional disorders, uh, has cut me out of her life. Uh, that like I didn't have to. Because I see my sister, because like my sister um, kind of has the grandkids that she can, you know, like they're, they're in this weird cycle where like my my mom hurts my sister, but my sister is not ready to just tell her to cut off completely because she wants her grandkids to know her grandmother. And she's also a good babysitter of last resort. And mom's not willing to ultimately cut ties with my sister way she has me because she has no like backdoor towards the grandchildren. And she craves that, that attention, that relationship. So like I had a problematic mother and she cut me out of her life. And now like I had to deal with the grief of that, but that was like, the longer the, the the longer it gets, the more it's like it feels like my mother's dead. Um, because in the last ten or eleven years, maybe she's told spoken to me three sentences total, total. Um, and I think like, man, maybe I'm the the lucky one because this seems like a very incredibly difficult position to be in. Right, depression's it's a really hard thing especially when you are watching a family member go through it. Because as Aaron had said earlier, you absolutely have the right as a child for your parents to be excited and interested in what you are excited Uh and interested in. But also this isn't something she's can control. Right. However, she can try to manage it. And I feel like it's a lot like when you deal with an addict of anything, Mm Mm-hmm you have to know that there's a problem and actively want there to not be a problem anymore. Right. You know, she has to want to get help. And I think that she should, especially now at this, at this point in her life and both of your lives, I think she should give antidepressants two more weeks mm-hmm. or give the counselors two more weeks and just, and just keep trying. Yeah. Because it's so, so easy to feel that, feel lethargic and just not want to do anything or take any action on it. It's so easy to give into that. Mm-hmm. It's really a battle to try to get good mental health. Yeah. And I think those, uh, anytime you're looking to engage with someone who is, you know, because there's that, that, that common phrase, uh, I can't remember where this comes from. This comes from AA or what, but like the the concept of hurt people hurt people. Oh yeah. Um, those books we talked about earlier about boundaries, I think, are useful of that too because you have, you know, this obligation to your mother um, that you know she needs you and you know and and you want her to to, to be helped, um, and you're trying as a conscientious person to do so. But the things she's saying and doing are, are very hurtful. Um, 
so you the, the like it's having very strong personal boundaries would would help you deal with that and mm-hmm. there's also you know you know the concept of you've got of enlightened selfishness i guess that the whole concept of like you when the plane's going down before you take care of your mom's oxygen oxygen mask before you take care of your children's oxygen mask before you take care of your your mate your 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 dog that you've got under your seats oxygen mask i don't know why i can't say oxygen mask you have to put your own oxygen mask on you have to be be, because the, the concept behind that is like if you're unable to help yourself you're gonna be unable to render aid to others so it's like very important to take care of yourself so like as you mentioned another sibling to like make sure you guys are sharing the responsibility the 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 burden of like trying to help your mother because if like one if any one of you just is solely responsible for it it's going to be bad i wonder if there's any like there's elder care services in most states um mm-hmm. that you can call on like um i know in indianapolis it was called like the the council the central indiana counseling and aging uh where you could call and find play, people that like are have expertise in dealing with like depression or things like that for elderly people because you know she's from a generation like that has all this stigma about you know therapy and medication and maybe like even doing that makes her feel worse about herself than if she you know she's whatever state she's in she's managing that but like you know oh my god if she's one of those people I say you, you just just never know and like some of these people are going to have more experience dealing with that situation and also like you know clarity from not being the person's daughter you know mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing here, I mean, I'm glad you have a sister to go through this with, but you know, remember this feeling because it sounds like this might be, uh, this might be something that runs through your family. Depression is Mm. if her mom was doing it to her and your mom is now feeling that way, then it might be something that you and your sister might develop later. And you just have to remember that it's something that you don't want to do to yourself without help. And it's not something you have to live through by yourself without help. Yeah. So that's a as tough much, situation. Yeah. As much as it feels like something you're just carrying around by yourself, it's not. And other people notice and want the best for you. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Uh, make sure you're, 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 you know, you're, you're filling up your sponge as fast as you're wringing it out. And uh, yeah, I, I think check into that boundaries because that one, the um, the first one I mentioned by the woman, uh, Anne, Anna Catherine, I think is her name. Yeah. Anne Catherine. I, she actually has a lot of uh, mother-daughter type examples and experiences in in her book. And even if it is a little bit like, you know, written in the 80s kind of stuff, I can think some of that stuff is more timeless. Um, and yeah, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time relating because like I had a terrible relationship with my mother, but she like cut me out. So like that, that, that terrible relationship ceased whether I wanted to or not. And I had to deal with like the concept of like, what's it like to have, to, to realize that something you deserved, which is like unconditional love from your mother, you're never going to get and you're never going to have, um, you know, it's, it's like it's 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 like dealing with the death of your parent plus the death of all your expectations and uh, all your hopes and, and, and dreams for that. Um, so it's different. I, you know, like I one of my nightmare scenarios is like, what do I do if my mom needs like real help? when she gets very old and she's sick or something like what are my responsibilities? What are my obligations? What should I do with my image as a good person? And like, it feels like some, that maybe that's the, 
the dilemma you're in. Like, you know, you, you want to be a good person and you love your mom and you want to help her, but it's just so damn hard. Uh, my heart goes out to you. Mm-hmm. So that's one weird trick for this week. If you have a sticky situation or a fun dilemma or a win uh, in your life that you would like to share with the One Weird Trick audience, if you've got some comments or feedback on the advice that we've given here in this week's episode, please send that in to OWT. I always want to say 1WT, and that's not right. OWT at SwizzBold.com. You can follow us along at all the social medias at SwizzBold. Please get in touch. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. We will be back in a fortnight. In two weeks for another episode of One Weird Trick, uh, please join me next week on my every other week episode of Three Right Turns. And until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. Have a good week. 